Uh, it was about seven years ago, maybe a little bit more, I was leading my very first youth trip as a youth pastor. I had been doing ministry for about three years before this, but it was my first time I was the final adult. Do you know what I mean? The adults were looking to me as the adult. I was probably 23, and we were going to Managua, Nicaragua, which uh, for my first international trip, I don't know if that was the best choice, but I decided to do it. We took 35 kids, and we went to Managua, but before we did, we had to fly to get there, which was a logistical nightmare for 35 high school kids to go to the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. As we were traveling there, we flew through Houston, and we were leaving Houston, and the turbulence became unbearable. It wasn't just the kind of turbulence where it was a little rocky, but I don't know if any of you hate turbulence out there and want to just confess and say amen, but you're like, I don't like it. I feel out of control. This wasn't just turbulence of like rocking back and forth. This was like dropping. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I like it. I'm like in. I'm like, let's go. Uh, And the plane starts to get panicky because people on planes get panicky. Uh, Have you ever been on a plane where people applaud when the plane lands? I... I love you if you're here. God loves you. Um, Why? Uh, It's like clapping when you wake up in the morning, statistically. I mean, so many planes land all the time. You should probably clap if it crashes, honestly. It would be like a big thing. Like, no, every plane lands all the time when people clap when they land. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Uh, So so there's a lot of feelings on planes. And when turbulence happens, you get all sorts of things. And it was was so funny when we we were in this moment, uh, there was these two girls behind us, like maybe in their 20s, they're going on a surfing trip because I am a brilliant eavesdropper, I found that out, uh, that they were going on this surfing trip and flying down to Nicaragua, and when the turbulence started, these girls started to freak out, to panic. It was great, too, because there's this little girl in the way back who was loving it. There'd be like deep, like, drops, and this little, probably five or six, she'd be like, wee, you know, and it'd drop, <laughs> And these, these girls behind me are like crying, holding each other's hands. And just the juxtaposition of different emotions on this plane was crazy. And this girl, one of the girls was slightly stronger than the other girl. She's trying to comfort her. She's holding her hand. She's like, sweetie, it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And she's like, no, we're not. We're going to die. We're going to die. I'm like, maybe, shh, kids here, don't really talk about that. You know, I'm like, kind of a rough thing to talk about. Don't be like yelling that on a plane. Um, she was like freaking out. Well, then, like, one drop happened that we dropped, like, hundreds of feet. It was, that one was, like, I was, like, okay, maybe we are going to die. I was, like, this is how I go. (laughs) You you ever been there? You're, like, it's okay. Uh, (laughs) Just, like, give in to it. Um, And and, and the woman's, like, starts freaking out. She starts breathing hysterically. And the, the woman, who's just slightly stronger, she says to her friend, she goes, honey, just pray. And right after that, the other girl goes, to who? <laughs> Which is so telling of our culture slash our humanity. It's like when we pray, we we don't always know who we're praying to, what we're asking for, but particular who is it? God? Jesus? Buddha? I don't, I don't just like what religious names can we think of to pray? But it was interesting because there was almost this primal reaction to pray. It was like, well, uh, we've run out of our resources, therefore let's pray. And it seems that when human beings run out of their resources, they cry out to a greater resource. It just seems to happen. They just kind of like launch into the human conditions. It seems to engage with the spiritual when the earthly uh, is failing. 
You, you hear a lot of times, right, um, during national tragedies and particularly do, during, during terrible natural disasters, thoughts and prayers. Or, or, you know, you hear that as this term of like, well, we should pray for whatever city is going through the tragedy. And in this series, we're calling it cooperation because we're talking about prayer. And if you're just joining us for the first week, last week, Dr. Charlie Self launched us very well into talking about why do we pray. But over each week, we want to talk about prayer as this cooperation between us and God, us submitting to God's work, us aligning ourselves to what God is doing. And if we haven't met yet, my name is Chris, and today I get to talk to you about prayer and the posture of it. And to do that, I thought the best place to start is to just look at Jesus and to look at the life of Jesus and the the teaching of Jesus to see how did he pray? How did he teach others to pray? How, How, what was his pattern of prayer? And there's a great passage in Luke chapter 11 that gives us an indication for how we should position ourselves in prayer. If you've got a Bible, head to Luke chapter 11. If not, it's in your bulletin, and it'll be on the screen. Luke chapter 11. This is one of the Gospels, which is outlining the story of Jesus' life. Luke 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then he says this to them. He starts to teach. He says, this is how you pray, but let me give you this story. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7. And he, the friend who's inside, will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door's shut, and my children are are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend... But yet, because of his impudence or, or his just lack of social awareness, almost his immodesty, the friend will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's ask for the Lord's understanding and let's pray to him. God, heavenly Father, we need you. We need you to understand this passage. This scripture is just a story without your spirit. Lord, without our opening of our minds, God, without you humbling our hearts, we're not going to receive what we need to receive. Would you get us out of the way? Get me out of the way, Lord. Take us and our distractions away and let us now sit before your feet. Spirit, instruct us. Open our minds and soften our hearts to receive not earthly opinion, but a transcendent word from you. And so help me, God, as I preach Help us as we listen to your word. We're desperate for you. We can't understand the things we need to understand without you. So help us, God. 
In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. We're going to learn the posture of prayer today at the feet of Jesus. The posture of prayer means recognizing the child you are before God. If, if there's a thesis statement today, that's it. Learning the posture of prayer means recognizing the child that you are before God. Jesus gives us three thoughts on prayer I'd like to summarize here. Three thoughts about what prayer is and the relationship to our posture as little kids. The first is this, is that prayer is primal. Prayer is primal. What I mean by this is prayer is a natural thing, much like the woman in the turbulent plane taking off from Houston to Managua, Nicaragua. Something naturally happens in people when they run out of resources, and it is to pray. Strangely, maybe you grew up uh, away from the church, and you always saw prayer as this religious thing. It's a ritual that people come to church, they kneel, they bow their heads, they put their hands like this for no reason, and then they pray. And that's really what prayer was to you. But think about it in a different way, right? When I say prayer is primal, I mean that it's this natural gut instinct that human beings have that Jesus actually tells us not to back away from or be embarrassed of, but to lean into. As opposed to moving away from prayer because it seems foolish or childish or something ignorant people do, Jesus says that instinct, when you run out of resources to lift your head and cry out to God for help, I want you to think about that and lean into that. Because look at his disciples. When they are forced to ask Jesus a question, not forced to ask him a question, when they choose to ask him a question or ask him to teach him about something, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's interesting. Do you know this is the only time in all of the Gospels that the disciples ask Jesus uh, to teach them anything? They ask him tons of questions, but there's one time where he says, would you teach us something? And they say, teach us to pray. They want to learn how to pray. Why did they ask that? Well, if you look back in verse 1 at the text, you'll see that the, Luke says that Jesus was praying in a certain place. So the question that came from the disciples came from them recognizing a kind of pattern in Jesus' life. But it goes much deeper than chapter 11, verse 1. We're sitting in Luke 11, verse 1, but if you just rewind the tape to Luke chapter 5, you'll see several instances where the gospel writer Luke is dropping this as a key rhythm in Jesus' life. Prayer was this natural, guttural response, but he didn't, Jesus didn't just pray when he got in trouble. Jesus didn't just pray when he ran out of resources. He was constantly aware he was under-resourced. He was constantly aware that he needed the gifts and the, and the power from the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that next week because there's a lot of mystery in there. But look at these verses in Luke of Jesus' habit of keeping prayer primal in his life. Luke 5, verse 15. So if you were in 11, just skip back to the left, and you'll be in Luke 5, verse 15. It says, but even uh, now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds went to hear him to be healed of their infirmities. But look at this. He withdrew to desolate places to pray. Crowds are gathering around Jesus. Tons of people are surrounding him. They want to heal him. They want something from him. And he withdraws to lonely places to pray. Verse uh, Luke, you're in 5.15. Just go one chapter to Luke 6.12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, look at this, he continued in prayer to God. All night. That's Luke 5, Luke, or sorry, that's Luke 6. Go three chapters to the right in your Bible, you'll be in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that he, Jesus, was praying alone. The disciples were with him. This was a very common thing Jesus would do if you read across the Gospels. He would be with his disciples, and then he would just be like, I'm going to walk over here and pray. 
I'm just going to go over here and pray. And the disciples were witnessing this the whole time. Look at, that's Luke 9, 18, just 10 verses later, Luke 9, 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took, uh, these sayings, he, those 10 verses are filled with some teaching. Luke 9, 28, he, uh, he, he so had these things, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up to the mountain. They all prayed. This verse is the beginning of the incredible story, read it for your homework later, of the transfiguration. The transfiguration came out of a time of prayer. It's very interesting. So then you get to Luke 11, and we've already had one, two, three, four moments where Jesus is caught praying. Then you get to Luke 11, and it says, well, Jesus was praying, and the disciples said, hey, well, hold on. Can you teach me how to pray? Can you teach us? And Jesus leans in to that primal inclination and teaches us to do the same. Prayer keeps us as dependents. You see, when you run out of resources and you get in trouble and you cry out to God, you are actually more human than when you are fully resourced. You are more human before God when you admit that you have nothing, when your primal instinct to cry out to him is unleashed. You are more human then than when you're sitting in an air-conditioned car thinking everything's cool. You see, that is not being a human being. That is being a self-reliant human being, which we were never created to be. And God is saying, unleash, take the leash off. Don't be domesticated you realize all of American society is trying to just domesticate us to be self-reliant, self-individualized people who are obsessed with themselves. And prayer gets you out of that. And Jesus is saying, come into this life of prayer. I, I remember when I, was, uh, I, when I was 19, I became officially uh, independent. Do you know that you have to be, right? Like there's taxes about this. And I remember my dad called me, my family was falling apart, but I was standing on my own two feet. I was so proud. My dad calls me. He says, hey, I'm, just, I'm not going to have you as a dependent on my taxes this year just to let you know. And I remember being filled with a kind of pride because that's what you're trained to do in America. Be independent. Be alone. Stand on your own two feet. And I remember being filled with pride, and it took God, God's work in my life to realize that's not really who you are, Chris. You're constantly dependent on me. In a culture that prizes independence, Jesus' invitation in prayer is to total dependence. Total dependence. And, and why? Well, because not only is prayer primal, but secondly, prayer is positional. Is that when you embrace this primal instinct to cry out to God, you position yourself beneath him. The primal aspect of prayer reminds us who we really are before God. This quote-unquote like natural inclination to pray when we suffer or when we're uh, have, going through difficulty is actually a grace from God. It's actually a grace from God to say this, you're not alone. Your natural inclination to say, I will pray for you, or thoughts and prayers, or God, help us in the midst of this financial difficulty or God help me in the midst of this illness that prayer is actually a grace from God saying yes you're not alone and you're a child maybe you can remember you woke up in the middle of the night after a nightmare and the minute you woke up after the nightmare you cried you exclaimed you re you said somebody help me right mom dad some of you who are more bold you would run in jump in bed wake up mom and dad why would you do that because you did that because the nightmare filled you with fear. But the thought of being alone filled you with an even greater fear. So it is with prayer. 
that the circumstances in our life fill us with fear, but the fact that we would be alone would be our greatest fear realized. If we were to be alone, we wouldn't know what to do. That's why we're constantly getting together with each other, why we're constantly scrolling on our phones, why we're constantly reaching out to people, because we don't want to be alone. We're deeply afraid that at the end of this universe, at the end of this life, there is nothing. And God's emphatic response to your guttural response of prayer is to say, you are not fatherless in this world. You have been given me as a resource. Come to me, cry out to me, I am yours. And when Jesus talks about prayer, he says, you're not alone, you're not fatherless. And in this, he gives you this prayer to remind you of it. If you look at verses two through four, in these verses, Jesus doesn't just, when the disciples say, teach us to pray, he doesn't just say, say whatever you want. We say that. <laughs> we tell people to pray that way. But Jesus tells people to actually pray a prayer. He gives them this kind of script. And the two words at the very introduction of the prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. These two enter us into a very important picture Jesus is inviting us into, this position we have of a child before God. He invites us to these two words that describe God. The first is Father. Now, Father might be difficult for many of you. You may come from a family like mine with an imperfect, far from perfect father. In fact, a father who has hurt you in many ways. And yet Jesus doesn't change the metaphor. Maybe you're uncomfortable with father because of its paternalistic connotations in a male-dominated society. Nevertheless, Jesus' metaphor stands. Why does it stand? Because it's a key almost. And this, through this metaphor of God being our father, it's a key that unlocks a door into a knowledge of the kind of God this is. You see, Father is a word picture for you and I to understand that God is our protector and caregiver. And however you feel about the word Father, Jesus is nevertheless inviting you in to an accurate depiction of the God you're praying to. When you say, let's pray, and people say, to who? You say, to my Father. And in the pattern of the biblical prayers, you see people praying to the Father, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the biblical pattern of prayer. And so however we feel about this word, it's nevertheless an invitation into a real aspect of the creator God, that he is not inaccessible. That in fact, as a child of God, you have special access, right? Tim Keller talks about this. He talks about how the only person to wake up and cry out in the middle of the night for a glass of water is a child. If I came to your house... He's like, hey, can I have some water? Like 3 a.m.? Like, get out of my house. How'd you get a key? I'd be like, don't worry about it. Um, I don't have special access. If you have a child, they have all the access. Father is a key that unlocks the relationship of what, who we're talking to. But also, Jesus says, Father, hallowed be thy name. In other words, hallowed is this churchy word, but it's a beautiful word. It means remaining set apart. When we ask God for his name to be hallowed, we say, God, keep your name and your glory apart from us. This is to teach us God is not like you. God is nothing like you. God is so far and so above and high and lifted up. He acts differently from you. Dr. Daryl Bach, the leading scholar on the book of Luke, I was privileged to take a class from him. He says this, we are not communicating with our peers we come humbly before a being who is unequaled in the universe. 
When we say, Father, hallowed be my name, we say he's high and lifted up. But I love that, that Jesus says, pray, Father, hallowed be thy name. So then you say, well, Chris, what is it? Is he my father or is he high and lifted up? And Jesus says, yes. Beware of theology that makes you choose one or the other. Because one will say, God is Father, and he's just like you. He just wants to be your friend, really your buddy. just wants to be around you all the time and just pet your head and be like, good, good, right? And you just relate with him. He's just your bro. He's for your father. He's, he's the cool dad. That's the theology that'll stray, that, stray to that side. But then you have this theology that says God is high and holy. He's inaccessible. He's so high and holy and lifted up, you can't even speak to him. You can't even stand near him. Beware of theology that would go one way or the other way. God, Jesus says, Father, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. It's both. And this, those two words lead us to the rest of the prayer where Jesus says, you pray your kingdom come, give us, forgive us, and lead us. Your kingdom come, give us, forgive us, and lead us. Just think about those terms. These are profound statements that assure where we sit with God. You see, when we're asking for things, give us, and we're saying, forgive us and lead us, we're understanding our very nature as a child. You see, this is where the implications come in. It has dramatic effects on American life in the 21st century. If we really believe this, if we really take Jesus at his word, we'll remember what he said in Matthew 18.3, truly I say to you, unless you turn, become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' project in your life is not for you to become a mature adult, but to become a humble child. Christian maturity is not about learning to be adult-like, but childlike. This will go against the entire project of the Silicon Valley, which is beautiful. We don't need more proud people We don't need more people acting like adults. You see, prayer will change you to cooperate with your father. It'll remind you this. You are not the adult you claim to be. You know, adulthood is basically a massive projection that we have everything figured out. Every adult in this room knows we have those dark moments where we feel like we don't feel under-resourced. We don't have the money. We don't have the skill. We don't have the prospects. And Jesus actually says when you do have the money, the skill, and the prospects, it actually puts you at a spiritual disadvantage. It's called being rich. And he says when you're rich, you, you have spiritual disadvantages. That's why he says blessed are the poor. And they see God. And it's not that rich people are inherently bad. It's just that it gives you an almost kind of a disability when approaching God because you think you have it all together. And in Silicon Valley, adulthood is the biggest projection. We just, this is who I am. This is my my company or my thing or my education, my house, my, my family even. We put all this forward when God's saying, would you be honest with me? You don't have what it takes. And the moment of that confession is like I said, it's like a key unlocking your relationship with God. When you're a child, See, I I want this to free you, actually. Like, my prayer for you is like, when I was preparing this message, is for us to embrace childlike faith and position before God is the most freeing thing I think Scripture gives us because it allows us 
to not have all the answers, to not all have ourselves put together. And, and so here are some implications. I want to share with you some implications. If you're a child, number one, you are reliant and under-resourced. Jesus says in John 15, 5, one of the most powerful phrases, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that apart from God, you have nothing? Oh, what, what, a, remarkable, what a remarkable mantra. Just have that in your mind every day. Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. Repeat that every morning. It, it transform your life. This is a great way to think about how you even physically posture yourself to prayer. Like, you know, there's, our, our physical bodies are connected to our minds and our spiritual life and our heart. It's why you see people, maybe you're new to church, people are ra- like raising their hands in worship, and you're like, does somebody have a question they should be called on? Like, no, it's just like we're physically posturing ourselves as little kids. When little kids want to be picked up, right, they open their hands. When they want something, they open their hands. You know, um, when, when you're desperate, begging, you get on your knees. Our leadership council here, it's the board of our church, the highest level of leadership in our church. I've been privileged to have a number of meetings with them. As Ryan's away, many meetings begin with them getting on their knees to pray. It's powerful. It says something about who they, who they believe themselves to be before God. It doesn't, it's not like this magical incantation that like God is suddenly more pleased. No, no, no. It just makes us change, which is really the problem, right? God's going to be God. He's our Father. He's perfect. We're the ones who need to remind ourselves. Secondly, if you're a child, you're admitting that you're foolish and ignorant. How about this one? I mean, children have no understanding of the way the world works. When you say, I'm a child of God, you're saying, God, I have no idea how this world works. <laughs> right? And, and again, man, some of you, like, the word child, it can be like the word father. I get that. Some of you maybe didn't have this kind of childhood, or you have different kind of kids and stuff like that. Again, the metaphor is an invitation. I understand that some of us had to grow up faster than others. But for little, little kids, children are foolish and ignorant. And it's kind of beautiful. I remember I was driving around my nephew, Ethan. Uh, he was like three at the time. He's in high school now. This is years ago. I'm driving him around, and I'm looking for parking. And when Chris and I looks for parking, um, I get in the zone. I'm just like, let's do this. I'm finding a free spot, and I'm going to parallel it just because I want to show off. You know, like, I get into it. So I'm like, and we're downtown. I'm like switching lanes, making hard turns. And I hear Ethan from the back. He's in his car seat. He goes, hey, Uncle Chris, are you lost? Lost, bro, do you want to take the wheel? You're three. You know, like, I was like, do you, do you want to get up here? I was looking for parking. I was more gentle. I was like, no, bud, looking for parking. You know, use your adult voice. Inside, you're like, are you kidding me? Um, is this not us with God? We think he's lost. He's looking for parking. Could it be? Just crazy thought. Could it be that the God of the universe has a more sophisticated reasoning than you do? It has to be possible. If God operated on your terms, he wouldn't be God at all. And it leaks into our doubts, too. It kills me as a pastor. I meet with some people all the time. And they say, Chris, 
I could never believe in a God who, who, who would, and, and fill in the blank on like 900 different options, right? I could never believe in a God who would, well, then I always think, well, who would what? Who would do something differently than you? Who would make another decision than you would make? Who had a level of wisdom more sophisticated than your human brain? I, I mean, this is what we're invited, this is the metaphor God's inviting us into. He's saying, you are a child and my ways are not your ways, to quote Isaiah, right? My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours. The reasoning of God exists on a different playing field than the reasoning of human beings. And, and, and this invitation is, is exactly Jesus. You are more foolish and ignorant than you ever want to believe. Finally, if you're a child, you are presumptuous and bold. Children believe the whole world is theirs for the taking and they don't understand why they would not get what they want. I mean, just interact with children. They're like, hey, I want that. And you're like, no. They're like, why? Like, because it's foolish. It's a hammer. I don't know. Like, you're like, but they still ask. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can't miss this. Jesus does not say this is a bad attribute. Jesus actually says, I want you to be presumptuous and bold like a little child. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock on that door. It will be opened. Wake me up in the middle of the night. You who are evil, how much more would your Father in heaven give good gifts? Lean into your presumptuousness and your boldness. Ask the provider. He's the good Father who gives gifts, which leads me to my final point. Not only is prayer primal and positional, where we position ourselves before, but it's also provisionary, that God ends up giving what we need. In verses 5 through 13, after the Lord's Prayer, it's a truncated version of the typical Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6 and more commonly confessed in the church. After that short prayer where he says, Father, hallowed and give us and lead us and guide us, we're led to this couple of metaphors about a man asleep and being woken up, about a father giving fish and eggs instead of scorpions. You see, this is an invitation saying, shamelessly ask me for what you need. Ask, it will be given to you. Jesus does not say, church, hear me. He does not say, ask and it might be given. Seek and you might find. Knock, we'll see if the door opens. He said, ask as if you were a little child. Run in, Don't, it doesn't matter. Come in after me. God will give us, but here's the most important thing. And if you haven't been listening, I need you to look at me because many of us go through life with prayers we believe are unanswered. And I know this verse is hard because you hear this verse, ask and it will be given, and you've asked and it hasn't been given. And there's a lot more teaching on that, by the way, over the next two weeks. So hang with me. I can't take it all into consideration now, but this is important. In this metaphor, that Jesus provides, there's important aspects of it. The first is this. Jesus says, when a child asks for a fish, he won't give him anything else. He'll give him a fish. He'll give him eggs. And you might go, fish and eggs, that sounds disgusting. Um, but in the ancient Near East, it was kind of like the meat and potatoes. It was like, this is the center of the meal. This is the protein. This is the nutrition. And God is saying, I'll give you what you need. 
He doesn't have dessert. It's not like when the little child asks for juice, give him juice. The little child asks for it. No, the little child is asking for what the child needs and God grants them what, he, what they need. But secondly is this, this final verse. This is very important. If you're looking at your Bible, look at verse 13, the very end. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, now look at this, will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? It's almost like this whole uh, teaching would lead you to think Jesus would end that differently. Like that he would say, how much more would your Father in heaven give you everything you want? He doesn't say that says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you himself through the Holy Spirit? This is the deep mystery of prayer. The deep mystery of prayer is you will never progress in prayer so long as you consider prayer transactional. This is what Jesus is trying to teach you. Don't miss this. Prayer is not an ATM. When you run out of cash, you go to the cash machine. And when you run out of God stuff, you go to the God machine. It's not transactional. The invitation of prayer is to, from a child to a father, not from a consumer to a customer service relationship. But as Americans, we constantly want God to be the ATM machine. And Jesus ends his teaching by saying, how much more will God give you himself through his Holy Spirit? He will give you what you need because if you have God, if you have God's Holy Spirit, you can withstand anything. You can go without so much. The amount of people throughout church history, man, just read church history. There's people, and even today, there's people suffering in the third world and in countries that are close to the gospel that are on their knees praying. They have nothing, but they have God. And they have enough. And in America, we just are like, God, why don't you give me this or give me that or give me this? And all the time, he's sitting up in heaven saying, I'm giving you me. I'm giving you my Holy Spirit, which would empower you to live a kind of life that you could never live on your own, that could live without any resources. You could be poor or rich and still consider yourself content because the mystery of prayer is about knitting your heart's desires with the heart of God. It's about understanding who he is and connecting to him. And if you don't understand that God is after you, you won't understand prayer. Man, prayer is about you, and this is our problem with it. Because we don't want a personal God. That's the unfortunate reality. You might say, Chris, no, wait, hold on. I do, I do want God. I would just ask you, just take, just take one step back from that initial gut response and say, do you really? God is offering us himself. Now, next week, we're going to talk more in depth about this when we ask God gives and how he gives. But for now, we need to know we can't get to next week unless we get this week. Like, if we got to next week without understanding that the relationship with you and God is about father and child, you will miss next week. You'll, you'll, you'll misapply it. You'll consider God to be somebody he's not. I'm telling you, today we have to sit saying, how good is it that God has given us the Holy Spirit in a personal relationship? Through prayer, God teaches us what we need, him, and then proceeds to give it to us freely. I'm going to say that again. God teaches us in prayer what we need and then proceeds to give it to us. And what we need is him. And I'm telling you, I know some of you say, no, Chris, I, 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 need, I need healing. 
I say, I know, I know, but you also need God. I say, Chris, you don't understand, I need money. I say, I know you do, I know, but you also, you really, before you need money, you need God. Man, some of you are like, Chris, I need a, a relationship. I'm saying before you need that relationship, you need this relationship. That prayer is inviting you to your deepest need. How do I know this? How do I know that God will provide us what we need? How do I know that God will provide himself? Because he already has. Remember when I, I showed you those examples of Jesus praying, you might go, why did Jesus have to pray? Like, wasn't he God? We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but why would Jesus have to have this habit of prayer? It's because Jesus was headed somewhere. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, we get a scene in a garden called Gethsemane, and we see a final vision of Jesus' prayer life. He says to his disciples in Matthew 26, 36, he says, sit here while I go over and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, the, the cross, his impending death, and the bearing of the sins of the world, the deep spiritual implications that fell within the cross. He says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus' practice of his posture of prayer shows us something dramatic. That he embraced the cross through prayer. And by embracing the cross, released to us access to himself. If God has already offered himself on the cross, why would he not offer himself to you now? In fact, the cross was God's great gift and great news to say, I'm here, you're not alone. When you cry in the middle of the night, you are not fatherless. And he did that to demonstrate, he did the cross, he accomplished the cross to demonstrate that very thing. You might ask, was Jesus' prayer answered? He prayed, let this cup pass from me. And he prayed, thy will be done. The answer is yes. His prayer was answered. It's that Jesus, in the mystery of prayer, was aligning his heart's desire to his father's and therefore able to walk through the deepest punishment any human has ever encountered. He was able to do that, not because he got what he wanted, but because he got what he needed. I wonder, do you have what you need today? Do you have God himself? If our goal in prayer is transactional, we will be disappointed. But if our goal in prayer is personal, to know God, we will never be found wanting we will always love to see God's will done, no matter the cost. I'm going to invite the band up, and I want, as the band comes forward, to invite you to join in Jesus' posture of prayer. In a couple of ways I think our church can grow. I think first is that some of you need to adopt the physical posture of prayer anew. Maybe you have gone through some of your life never really connecting your physical body to your spiritual life. What I mean is, if you're a desperate and needy child, maybe today you've never opened your hands in prayer. Open your hands in prayer as we worship. If you've never raised your hands, raise your hand. If you've never gotten on your knees before, get on your knees. I'm just asking you, could today, in some way, 
Could you take a step in this right here, right now? I really believe God will reward you. And what I mean by that is I really believe God will meet you there in that moment of desperation. If you've never gone to the prayer team, we have this area up here that over the next couple of weeks, I mean, I just want to see this place flooded. Because some of us have never gone to the prayer team because we've never wanted to admit we have a need. Prayer team is not some weird place where like, you know, you go up and it's like, oh, something's really wrong with you. It shouldn't be that way. Prayer is recognizing you're a child. Would you go up for prayer? Secondly, take communion as a needy child. Take communion as a child that needs God's bread. He's given it to you quite literally here, the bread and the cup. But more deeply, he has provided for us salvation in Jesus Christ. That the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the new covenant, his blood shed. And finally, I want to invite all of us as a church to confess the prayer Jesus told us to confess. To pray the exact words that the church has been praying for centuries based off of the teaching of Jesus. And that's the Lord's Prayer. It's in your bulletin. It'll be on the screen. Would you stand with me and let's pray this prayer. Just take a moment to center your heart. Take a moment to think of God. And church, out loud, would you confess with me and pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.